And let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter number four. The Gospel of John, chapter number four. I'd like to begin reading with verse 33. Therefore said the disciples one to another, has any man brought him anything to eat? Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth, receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. I think everybody enjoys harvest time. They enjoy the beauty of the fields. They enjoy the change of the season. The leaves are turning. Harvest, of course, is a profitable time for people if, in fact, harvest goes well. But we want to call attention to the fact that when Jesus looks upon the fields, he's not thinking about the vegetation. He's thinking about the people. In this world in which we live, there are more than 200 countries. There are more than 6,000 languages. And we probably have thousands and thousands of tribes, some tribes that may not even have been classified yet. But with all of that, God sees a harvest. He sees a field. He sees the field because he sees hearts of people that need to be sown with the word of God. J. Oswald Smith, that great pastor from Canada, made the statement many, many decades ago. Why should anyone in the West hear the name of Jesus twice when there are some that have never heard the name of Jesus once? So this is why people go. When Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, he knew that all the world would bring people into contact with different cultures, different ethnicities. Some of these cultures would be violently opposed to the kingdom and its message. Some people would lose their lives because of the gospel. Nevertheless, this is why Jesus has told us to go. If the seed isn't sown, there can be no harvest. So when people make statements like, well, I don't understand or ask questions like I don't understand why it is. Why do you think it is that people aren't getting saved? And the answer is very often there's no word being sown. So we have to be witnesses. We have to share the gospel with people. And don't ever anticipate that anybody out here in the heartland is saved just because they were raised out here in the heartland. I've met people that have never darkened the door of a church but have grown up in these small towns. I think within my first three months out here preaching, I was in Garland, Nebraska. Some of you probably never even heard of that. I know I had never heard of it. Little small spot in the road. And I was preaching in a living room one evening and a beautiful young couple gave their hearts to the Lord. Place was packed. They could not have been more than 23 years of age. He was a farmer. She was a school teacher. And they knelt on that living room floor and became Christians. And I'll never forget asking them about their church background. And they both said to me, we've never even been in a church. Not for a funeral, not for a wedding. They didn't know anything about God. 
So I quickly learned that just because people are raised out here, that doesn't necessarily mean they know anything about God at all. The gospel has to be proclaimed and it begins to be proclaimed when we get our eyes on the harvest. Stop seeing people as your cousins and your best friends and your acquaintances at the bank and begin to see that teller at the grocery store as a field that needs to be harvested. See your grandchildren and your enemies as people that need to have the word of God sown into their hearts. And as long as you don't see them that way, then your eyes aren't lifted up to behold what God is seeing. And we can walk around like we're asleep. But the way the churches grow and the way that ministries progress is not by just simply hoping that another young couple will come with kids and the church will grow that way. But it's by witnessing to people and sharing the good news with people and permitting the Holy Ghost to bring conviction into the hearts of people. And that is how we help gather in the harvest. Folks, one day Christ is going to return. And there could be very well be a day where somebody in here passes away sooner than he returns. But it's important for us to be the kind of Christian that God wants us to be. And he says the fields are ready. So in springtime, people out here plant. But by June, no one is saying that the fields are ready. They're not even saying that in the first part of July. They're still saying there's a process of maturation that has to occur. But by September, folks are saying fields are looking pretty good. Harvest time has come. But as regards us that are Christians, when we see people... God says the fields are ready now. Well, I put off tomorrow what we could do today. Today is the day of salvation. And Jesus is very plain in explaining this to us. So as Christians, then we have to think about world missions because this is what God has called us to your pastor. Before he was 30, he had already gone to 3,000 cities outside of America. And we have not ceased to travel since we've been here. In fact, you, you were already so accustomed to me traveling and Tiffany traveling with me in our early years that you knew that we would be going here or going there. And that separates us from a lot of ministers. Their mission primarily is going to the nursing home. We go to the nursing home. Their mission is to just visit someone in the hospital. But we visit people in the hospital. But we early on started going into the prisons and started seeing a harvest of souls in the prisons. We early on started preaching revivals in these small towns here in Nebraska and holding revivals in the denominational churches and the independent churches. And we always put this in the kids. We kept the kids in the altar. We kept praying for them so that they would have the heart that we have for the world. So back when we were praying about where to take some of the little ones in the church, because I had made a promise, I think it was to Elizabeth to get her to Africa or something like that. I had recalled that I had a, a friend that I met at a minister's convention in Wisconsin. And so he and I had exchanged cards and I made a phone call to him 
And I told him I was interested in coming over to Kenya to do some work. Now, in the years past, we had primarily worked in the Middle East because I had gone to school to study Arabic. And then I had lived in the Middle East with an Iraqi family for a year and then also with a Palestinian family for a year. And I was preaching in Arabic and holding meetings in Arabic. But when we came back to the States and God brought me up here, there was just a shift in the way God was leading us and directing us. So this whole African thing came up. So our our first contact was a gentleman whose name was Washira Karani, Bishop Washira Karani. And he was someone, you need a glass of water? Yeah. Washira Karani was a man who had been raised in Kenya, and he was the, I believe, on both sides of his family, uh, he was a descendant of witch doctors. Now, for in America, people don't even run into a whole lot of black magic and stuff like that. But with regard to the evil of witchcraft, black magic, voodoo, and all this stuff that you just see on television from time to time or hear about in a commercial or something like that, this is a reality for a whole lot of people. And there's still lots of tribes that have these medicine men and these people that get involved with all of this witchcraft. Well, he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as a little boy. He was so poor, he didn't even have any winter clothing to walk back and forth to school. So he said the way he kept warm was by eating jalapenos and any kind of hot pepper he could get his hands on. And he said that would at least produce some kind of sweat for him sometime because he didn't even have any shoes as a kid. So if uh, once he gets this set up, we can do the first set of pictures there. I can show you a picture of of Washir Karani. This is him there on the on right there to my to my left. And we're in his office. Uh, he's a great man of God. He has started over 200 and 50 churches over there in East Africa. They're in Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda. Uh, he is now the International Missions Director for the Assemblies of God for the nation of Kenya. And he is the one that hosts me whenever we go over there. Uh, with him, we have now probably done 30 churches throughout uh, Kenya and preaching in the South. And his English is as good as ours because English is their national language. They go to school and learn English and they speak their tribal languages at home. So they have English and they have Swahili and whatever their tribal tongue is. But he and I have traveled all over the place preaching the gospel. His ministry is in rural areas just like ours. Bishop Karani has a church called Eastgate Assembly with over 700 people in that church. And he's in a rural area. And it's amazing to see even on a rainy day as people are walking down these roads just to get to that fellowship and be able to worship. Some of them are walking six miles one way sometime just to try to get to the house of God. So this is our contact. 
He is the gentleman that we're working with. It's he and his wife that Tiffany and I uh, assigned to handle our housing when we get there in different places. But I want to give you some kind of idea of what the, the area is like and, and doing ministry there. We'll go to the next one, next picture. And then uh, this is the home Washira Karani was raised in. This is the home his mother lives in. She, well, she just recently passed away last year. So these are some of his family members. This is rural Kenya where we go, folks. And when I say 90% of the people are living in mud clay homes and tenements, this is exactly what it is. So when we go out there, we usually carry thousands of dollars with us to the mission field. We can go and with a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars, we can put up a church for them or put a roof or something like that on the church. One of the things I remember about this trip to this this little village here when he was showing us where he was raised. was I gave and Tiff will remember this. I gave these kids a piece of gum. They had never had a piece of gum in their life. And I remember the little kids, they took that gum, they chewed it and smiled and laughed and giggled, pulled it out and looked at it. And then stuck it back in, started smiling and giggling again and kept pulling it out and then start giving it to one another. <laughs> They'd never had anything like that before that could produce that kind of sweetness, something we take for granted every day. It's something other people don't understand. And it reminds me when I lived in the Middle East and I had a roommate and uh, this, this gentleman had never used roll-on deodorant before. And he couldn't figure out why every morning I was doing that. And then when I figured out that's what the problem was with him, I helped him understand how to use that. <laughs> and he was quite pleased afterwards to realize this stuff came in different sense. But I can, I still remember him. First time he used that, he did put that to his nose. He couldn't believe that all of a sudden he was smelling like that thing he was rolling on. But, but these kinds of things, folks, all over the earth, there are people who don't understand this. Let's go to the next one. So here is a, a typical Kenyan church in the rural area. You can see it's just some stone and then they just throw a, 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 some sheets of uh, steel up over that. And for about a thousand dollars, we're able to put a roof on somebody's church and then a little bit more, we're able to take care of the, the stone. Now the stone and the rocks that they use isn't expensive at all. You're just paying for a little bit of uh, labor for these people. But when we, when we have a building like that and we go over and we give somebody $2,500 or we give somebody $3,000, that's helping us put up a church. And so we've done this probably 33, 34 times now. And we constantly send money. I'd say every quarter, we send in four or $500 to help some of the Kenyan pastors. The average family, in Kenya lives on about the equivalent of 25 American dollars, 25 American dollars. And so the, the pastors, uh, on our first trip there, I decided that we would try to do something to help them because I'm of the firm opinion that a pastor preaches pretty, pretty good if he or she doesn't have to worry about what they're going to eat for dinner. 
See, so when 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 we're asking you for finances and we're giving and taking up offerings, that kind of money is going to help people who are preaching out in rural areas just like this, because this church represents a rural area just like where we are out here today. Let's go to the next one. Here's the inside of that church we were just looking at. You notice they don't have pews. There are no chairs. The average church just has some wooden benches there and they have to sit there on those benches. And remember, Africans don't do church like we do church. These people walk for miles and miles to get there. So when they get there, they don't want to be done in an hour. They want service to go three hours and four hours. And very often they try to feed one another on the grounds in the sanctuary and stay there for the afternoon service. And if you can imagine sitting there on one of those kind of uh, benches with no back hour after hour, it's not easy. So even some of our monies have gone to help look after them. You can see on the far left hand side there, you can see Elijah. That's, that was one of our first trip when we took them. It was Elijah over there. And so we, we, we come to places like this because most preachers go to the large cities. Now, in large cities, you have your four and five star hotels. In your large cities, this is where you have your larger congregations. And people from America and other places in the West, this is where they want to come. They want to have the American feeling when they come into these big cities. But Bishop Karani is from a rural area. I pastor in a rural area. So I want to do ministry to not where the masses are. I want to do ministry to where some of the smaller fellowships are. Because I believe, and I've always believed this, that people in a rural area should have a right to good ministry and good ministers just like people in the larger cities. People in the rural areas may not be able to pay a preacher like they can in the larger cities. But if you have a preacher whose heart is for a particular area, then it's never about the money. And what has kept me out here with you all of these decades has been the fact that I know I'm called to be here and the fact that I have a great love for you. So when we've seen pastors come and go. And use the heartland as a stepping stone to get to the next church. Pastor Darrell's been right here preaching to you, preaching when the place was empty, preaching when the place was half full, preaching when the place was entirely full, continuing to preach the gospel. And we've never changed. And when I come over here, I preach to those folks the same way I preach right here in the States, except I have an interpreter putting a lot of it in Swahili. Let's go to the next one. In this picture here, you can see everybody has come outside of a church and that is the baptismal. The baptismal is built into the ground and the people are standing on stone. So you have a stone baptismal, as you can see. And right here is where somebody is going to come wading down into the water and the person who's doing the baptizing is going to be back in there. And then they're all going to do like we do when we go down to the river. We start singing a song and then the baptizee is going down in the water and coming up and everybody's going to shout and rejoice. But I wanted you to see there's no tub and they will use a river and things uh, just like we will use. Now, uh, for this baptism, I can remember this very well. 
because when we got out there by the water and the people were singing and Tiffany was looking down in there, there were all kinds of little things floating around in there that weren't dead. And yet uh, Bishop's son got down in there and they did the baptizing because Bishop had asked me, he said, Bishop Darrell, that's what they called me over there. He said, Bishop Darrell, would you like to get down in there and do the baptizing? I said, I am so grateful to you for the inv invitation, but I believe I'll decline. And I'll stand up here with my wife and I'll let you wade down into that water. Let's go to the next one. Praise God. Praise God. Let's see here. Oh, that was the last one of that one. Okay. So here is a, is a place where Tiff and I stayed when we took the kids over. That is one of the best places you're going to find in the area. And we, we had the church paid a pretty good penny uh, for us to be over there in that, in that place. It was actually an enclosed compound, but you'll notice how green everything is. Kenya's a very pretty place. If you like foliage and trees, I mean, I, they, they've got, you can just walk out there and just about on any road find bananas growing in somebody's yard, just, just hanging, hanging from a tree. And, and people love papaya fruit and all of that, but we, we chose this place for the kids because we needed a place at that time that was safe and secure. Because, you know, if you're taking somebody's kid overseas, people want to know everything is going to be safe. And we wanted to be in a facility where it would be good. Uh, that is not the kind of place we typically stay in. I never get a place like that when it's just me. Typically, when it's me, we end up in a place where there's for a restroom, there's a hole in the ground and, and there's nothing beautiful or attractive about that. Let's go to the next one. On, on one occasion, we were talking to him about American food, so a pastor had to help explain to people how to cook. And so we have to show people how to do it the American way. So Chef Boyardee is up here talking to these lovely, these lovely ladies. The, the one on the right, if, if I'm not mistaken, she's the one that gave Tiffany this Kikuyu name by the name McKenna, which in Kikuyu means the smiling one. And I think it's, it's, it's this lady or the lady over here walked 12 miles each way to come to work. 12 miles one way without a vehicle, just pounding the pavement to come and to look after us. And, and I recall when we were there with them, I think it was getting close to Christmas, and I believe we left them a wonderful offering just to show them how much we appreciate them. Anybody that would come walk that far, then prepare food for us, and then be around to make sure the kids had the things that they need. We certainly were quite pleased about that. We can go to the, the next one here. I think here's another picture of Tiffany with one of the cooks, and you can see again just how beautiful that area is. And all of Nieri, which is our main place when we go to do ministry, it looks just like that. It is the rainy season, it's beautiful, it's green, and it's just absolutely lovely in that particular area. Now you, you get away from that, and then you end up seeing the kind of homes that we had that we saw in the previous picture. The difference is the mud clay tenements will be surrounded 
by stuff that looks like that. See? So it's a pretty environment. It's just that people don't have the, the finances to build the kind of homes that we have here. Let's go to the next one. That is a picture of Mount Kenya from anywhere in Nyeri. You can see that mountain. People come from all over the planet to try to get over here to this particular mountain. Some people want to climb it. Some people want to hike it. But that was the view from that place that you just saw where Tiffany and I were standing at. Uh, that was our view coming out the first time we were there with the kids. And we, we wanted it to be a good experience. We think anybody's first missions trip should be a good experience because if you go on a missions trip and it's not a good experience, you won't want to go again. And we want everybody to be impressed by the nations. We want everybody to be excited about meeting other people and meeting people of different tribes, of different languages, even if their culture is different than yours. In this region here, these people are what you call Kikuyu. The Kikuyu tribe is only one of 45 tribes in Kenya. And the Kikuyu people were not traditionally Christians. They were animists. They worshiped rocks and stones and, and all of that. But the missionaries began to come in the late 19th century to preach the gospel to the Kikuyu people. And the Kikuyu people were violently opposed to the gospel. They did not want to accept it. There was a lot of fighting that was going on. People lost their lives. Many missionaries and their children died because they were trying to preach the gospel and they could not quickly acclimate themselves. And so they were ending up contacting malaria and other diseases and they died. But now there in uh, Kikuyu land, when we go to preach, we see a wonderful harvest. Uh, we, we've seen multitudes of people come to Christ. We preached outdoor meetings in this area and uh, we've seen lots of folks saved, lots of people giving testimonies of being healed. Bishop has told me that on one of my future trips, he'd like me to come closer to that mountain to preach in the Mount Kenya region. Now you can see there's snow up there on the top, but around the base of those mountains, there are villages. And so in the future, it's our plan to organize some meetings to go there. Let's see what we have next. To be a public official in Kikuyu land, you have to worship other gods. You have to sacrifice animals. And you have to pray to demons. So the people who are in power typically are not Christians. Christians don't do that kind of stuff. However, there is a change coming and there are numbers of people in authority who have been getting saved. So even though they did those practices to become a leading official, they're now coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of those people in that region attend Bishop Karani's church. Now, on the last trip we just returned from, this is where we were. This is who we were preaching to. We were in Maasai land. We had over 1,800 young people and young adults that came together, crammed into that place. And it's hard to see, but uh, way back here, 
And all along there, they're standing up. And these people that are standing up are blocking all the people, the hundreds of people that are sitting down there. The Maasai people are warrior people. They are the only people that the British did not conquer in Kenya because they had a belief then. It's not their belief now. But when all of the colonization was taking place, the Maasai had a belief if anybody with white skin comes into the area, kill them. And that's exactly what they did. It's not like that now. But the Maasai people are unique in that. These folks live in the bushland. And when I say in the bushland, I mean they live amongst wild animals. Everybody that you see right here, in order for them to get to this meeting, they had to walk several miles out into the bush to get there. The bulk of them came from 45, 50, 60 miles away, one way walking just to come to a meeting. Some of them likely came because they knew there was going to be food there. And we made sure that that uh, in our gifts and our offerings that we were able to bless uh, bless the bishop who was over this this area. So eighteen hundred people, these folks danced and praised God all over the place. They shouted and glorified the king. Uh, when a young man is a Maasai guy and he wants to prove his manhood, he has to go out into the wilderness and he has 10 years to kill the five major animals out there. He has to do that in order to prove his manhood. All of these are people who've been through that. The ones that are older and the ones that are younger, some of them are going to go through that. This gentleman here, he sat down next to Tiffany one evening and He's he's has very good English, but he's one of the few Maasai preachers that I've met who just like to talk. He didn't want to stop. I mean, he sat down next to Tiffany and he was just talking and talking and talking. Well, later on, we found out that he pastors a church many, many miles away. And his church has a building. So they've got the walls up going all around, but they have no roof. And it's been like that for over a couple of years. And so he took the church and it only had maybe 18 or 20 people are here. He's got about 135 or so. And they're meeting in a building with no roof. So, you know, if it starts to rain, everybody gets so. So we gave a nice big donation to him to buy him a roof. So I think this month that roof is going to be getting put on his church. And I'm sure he's going to be absolutely tickled when uh, all of that is is together. But at this meeting here, when we arrived, I had to preach an afternoon service. And I can't remember what my first message was on, but I know the Lord gave me some messages out of Luke chapter 24. And uh, folks, we hit the jackpot in this place and we got to praying for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit because they were coming from every direction wanting to be filled when we gave that altar call. My final evening when I gave the call for people who felt like they were called to the ministry, hand after hand went up in the air. Now here is a world where people live out under the stars. In this place, when I first came to this region three years ago, they told me when I went to the restroom outside, because there was no restroom, there was just a ditch they had dug. 
And they said, please take at least 10 to 12 men with you when you go to the restroom, because out here in this area, we've got wild hyenas and we lose kids to these all the time. And so you better believe I had an army every time I went to that, that restroom. But you just wouldn't think anybody would have to worry about something like that. These folks that are sitting here, some of them, they were there for five days and six days. Some of them are wearing the same clothes they were wearing on the first day. One article of clothing they had to wear. They wore that all week long. And the ones that walked for 50 and 60 kilometers to get there, they had to spend the night out in the bush and then make it on the second or third day. So, of course, you travel in bunches and with spears just to be able to protect yourself from the wild animals that are there. In this area right here, just outside, the day before, they had a, a herd of 30 wild elephants that came up into the area and started grazing. It's a very common sight to see a little Maasai kid that's six or seven years old walking to school and just walking in the midst of all of those big elephants going on its way. See, that's hard for us to comprehend. But when you wild donkeys, wild zebras, wild animals everywhere and people just learn to live with them. Let's go to the next picture. So here is a Maasai market. After Tiffany and I finished up preaching in one village, they took us on the other side of the mountain to another village. The reason it's green in the background out here is because it had been raining when we arrived. Typically in Maasai lands, it doesn't rain for four or five years. So we hit it at the right time. It was beautiful. It's usually a deserted area. They're usually facing drought. The typical diet of the Maasai people is milk and meat, milk from the livestock that they raise and meat from the livestock that they butcher. They don't do vegetables. You can't grow any. Nobody has a garden. You can't grow a garden. So they don't know anything about carrots and green beans and all this stuff as we do. It's milk and it's meat. So the, the, the people that are here at this marketplace they put up these wooden booths and then the ladies come in with all of their goods and this is where they trade. So no one's using money. You're trading material. So if you have someone over here who who makes rugs or who makes uh, shirts and stuff like that, you're going to come over here and trade it with somebody who makes baskets. So there's no exchange of money. And these ladies who have their hair cut short, it's not just not just merely a tribal thing, but when you live out there, there are no beauticians. You know, bald head is a lot easier to care for than hair that's running all the way down here when you got all kinds of ticks and mice and all that, lice I should say, and stuff like that that's out there. The, what you see in their ears, and particularly with the lady here in the middle, and what she has here, what they wear around their neck and what they wear from their ears typically tells you about their tribe and it tells you about the wealth of their tribe. These are also the people that have the steel rings around their necks. You've seen them before. They have the elongated necks. And once you've had so many rings around your neck through the years, because you put them on there according to your age, and then you just keep adding them as you get older. But once you've had them on there so long, you can never take them off because your, your head is now on an elongated bone structure 
and that bone is weak and it requires those those rings around the neck. So they stay on there. They stay on there. So you say, well, what about bathing? You don't have to worry about that. Nobody out here bathes very often because it's in a drought. The ladies have to walk during the drought a day's journey to get water. So I want you to think about that. Think of nine or ten hours of daylight and you as a woman walking with other women and you're just strolling about carrying a bucket. And then when you get to whatever is a river or a well or something like that, then you fill it up. You got to spend the night there now because sunset is coming. And the reason you go with two or three other people is because when you lay down there in the middle of the night, predators are going to be coming. So you need other people to help defend you because you got the hyenas that'll be out there, the prides of lions that'll be out there. And then the next day you come back with that water and you head right back to your house. And this is a lifestyle for many of them. It's not an easy life, but it's the life that they that they live. Let's try the next picture. So Tiff and I had to go speak in a Maasai church in a rural area again. This is inside the service. The Maasai people speak a totally different language than the other Kenyans. They do know Swahili, but way out here in the bush, there are no schools for them like they have in the city, so they don't know English. So I had to speak and they would translate it into Swahili and maybe somebody would say something to somebody in, in the Maasai language. But you can see the colors. They like the red capes and the garments that they have on as hot as it is out there. Those garments are very light, They're very light. And so it's, it's an airy kind of attire for them. And then all of us are kind of standing in the background there as they're doing their praise and worship. So you say, well, pastor, what do you do when they're doing praise and worship? Because you don't know what they're saying. I just stand there and just worship God. I don't know. I don't know what they're saying. Every now and then I ask Bishop, what are they singing about now? He'll say, well, they're talking about how God is a refuge and he'll look after you. And I'm just saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But even with that, it doesn't matter where you are on this planet. When you meet the body of Christ, you've come in contact with family. And even if you don't know what you're singing, you can still worship God. You can praise God. Just look at the next picture there. So you can see all the jewelry she's got on her neck and everything for her family. That's a picture of the church we were, ju we were just in. The people were just in. That's the church. So again, notice how green it is. That's because it just hit rain. All of that sprung up over a period of a week or so. But it's usually desolate and barren, and that church there is built of nothing but some, some uh, you can see some iron sheets, and they got some wood structure, and something like that you can put up for probably five or six hundred dollars, and the preacher, you'll see a picture of him soon, but the preacher of this church, he has done six other churches, six other churches. You can see there's hardly anything around this place. You can't see the house, but back off in the distance. I don't think it's on this picture, but back off in the distance, you'll see another home and it'll be very similar to the one we showed you earlier. But when Tiff and I drove the vehicle out there, there are no roads. Everything looks like that. So you're driving a Land Rover or SUV across the bush to get to something like that. And the people who live in that area, you tell them we've got Americans that are going to be coming 
try to be at church. Now, they don't have a typical church time, like 1030 pastors starting on time as best as he can. You just start church when everybody gets there. So if they get there at one o'clock in the afternoon, church starts. If you get there at 1130 in the morning, church service begins. Let's go to the next one. Okay, so here I am, Tiffany and me, we've got Bishop Karani in the middle. They have just had a ceremony where they've had Tiffany out there dancing with them in service, and they put all this Maasai jewelry on us. That's why I've got it around my forehead. Tiff has it around her neck, and Bishop Karani has it around his forehead also. Standing to Bishop Karani's left is the bishop over the Maasai people in that region, and here closest to me is the pastor of that church. Now this man here, he and I are the exact same age. In fact, he and this guy, all three of us are the exact same age. But the life that they have lived, both of them were former Maasai warriors. They lived out in the bush, they worshiped their own gods, they created their own gods, they killed their own meat. The Maasai do not even allow themselves to eat their meals with the women. It's bad luck for a Maasai woman to look upon a Maasai warrior's meat. So the men typically will dress the animals, prepare it, the ladies eat in one location, the men eat in another. This man here is a legend. In the Maasai region, he's the only person that's known as a crown warrior because before he was 25, he killed three lions, three lions himself. Well, we were sitting around and he was sharing and telling me the story of how he became a Christian and and got to know the Lord. But, you know, you meet these guys and they're not very big, as you can see, but they have all these stories that tell you how to kill a lion. Because they say that when a lion is crouching up on you and he gets close to you, and if you've got a spear or some kind of knife, they, they say that a lion, just when he pounces, said about a split, maybe, maybe a second or so before he grabs you, they say he blinks and closes his eyes. And he says, when he closed his eyes, that you're supposed to step to the side with your spear and then just stick him right in the side and now to kill him. And I told Tiff, I said, I'd like to know how many warriors had to try that out <laughs> before they figured out he blinked. <laughs> I have no desire to get that close to a, to, to a lion. But I'll tell you this, though. We were, Tiff and I were having, I, don't, she, I think she was there, we were having lunch with another Maasai guy, and he couldn't have been but this tall. And we were in this restaurant, so I asked him, I said, well, tell me about growing up in Maasai territory. And so he wanted to tell me about one time when he had to kill a lion. He said, in their hut out in the bush, he said he and his wife were in bed, and the kids were there in bed near them, and he said he could hear a lion going around on the outside grunting and kind of growling. And I said, well, wh what did you do? He said, well, I told my wife, I've got to go out there and face that lion. Otherwise, that lion's going to come in here because he smells us. And, you know, a hut 
It's not big at all. You can just push your way right on through there. So he told his wife, look, I've got to go out there. Otherwise, he's coming in here. So he went out there with an axe and he told me and he was telling me this as, as we were eating. And he told me he took an axe and out there in that darkness, because it's like there, like it is here in rural Nebraska. There are no street lights out there on the country road. It's just dark. He said that lion came at him in that moonlight. He pulled that axe up, brought it down on that lion's head. He said the lion hit the ground, got back up, came at him again. He said this time he took that axe and brought it right across that lion's jaw and broke it. That lion went down and he said, of course, he killed the lion. And then he called his his children out of the hut and they all came in, came out. And then they cut the skin off and took the mane and took the skin and made a, a blanket or something out of it. And so he's sitting there telling me this. And I'm thinking, all my life, I've been afraid of Rottweilers. And, and this little bitty man, this little bitty man has gone out and has killed a lion. So that it gave me a totally different approach on life. The Maasai people, all of their marriages are prearranged. This is even for the Christians. So the, the boys and the girls, their marriages often are arranged when they're toddlers. Can you imagine that? Toddlers. Mom and dad pick and choose who you're going to marry. And when I come in contact with cultures like that that are different, I don't ever turn my nose up. I don't ever look down upon them. I just always am thankful that here's another opportunity to preach the gospel because everybody doesn't have to have a culture like ours. I'm just glad I got to choose my wife. I love my mom and dad, but I don't know if I trusted them enough to be able to choose a spouse for me. So I'm glad I got to choose my own. And I want you to know I am pointing at Tiffany. I'm not pointing at Barry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the next one. Praise the Lord. Okay, so here they are. They're putting all of that on on uh, Tiffany and the little kids in the background. They're just so happy to meet some Americans and, and have some folks there. And uh, the lady putting the jewelry on Tiffany is the pastor's wife. Her home was maybe a hundred yards from the church. Her parents' home was maybe 200 yards in the other direction from where the church is. She and her husband live in a mud clay tenement also. But they don't have a steel roof. They have a thatched roof with dried mud and leaves in it to keep the rain from getting in. And this lady, as hospitable and as gracious as they were, there was no bathroom out there for us. They, they had a little deal out there where you could go and they had something on top of it just to cover for, for, for the ladies. But, but my wife, she's just so wonderful. Oh, she's so wonderful. We went out there on that trip. We, we, we were out there in that bush country amongst the Maasai. We left where we were staying at that little hotel place. We left that place, I think it was 11.15 in the morning or something like that. 11.40 in the morning. Did not get home to 12.15 a.m. the next morning. Not one time did she ever bother to go for a restroom break. <laughs> I said, woman, that's one more super bladder you've got there. I'm telling you, yeah. Yeah, because 
Because in the, in, the, in the vernacular of the Kenyan people and the Maasai people, we men, we need to go and meet with a bush. And there was no way 12 hours I was going to be able to, to do that. But in that little house that they have with a dirt floor, thatched roof, the lady was being so hospitable to Tiffany and, and letting Tiffany know if we ever came back, uh, we could come and stay with them and uh, be with them out there in that, in that area. See, when I was 22 or 23 and I was single, if I hadn't known about a place like this, I probably would have moved out there and stayed and preached. That, that's something I probably would have done. Let's go to the next one. Because I always liked adventures, I always liked challenges. Uh, here again, we have the ladies on the inside. They have all assembled themselves and, and they're getting ready for a dance. The Maasai ladies, when they dance, they've got their own little rhythm. But when they dance, they do their head like this and they stick it out. And so when I went to Maasai land the first time uh, about three years ago and I had a thousand women, it was the strangest thing for them to pull me and Bishop Karani down there. And we had to do that dance that they were doing, sticking their head out. And even Tiffany got involved with that. They poured it down. But I love the red that they wear and that light blue that they wear. And I love all the different, the different ways that they dress themselves. They were getting ready for a wedding about a mile and a half from where we were. They were all getting ready to come out of church, walk through the bush to go to this wedding. And, and that's why they're all dressed in the manner that they, that they are. Let's go to the next one. Okay, we're almost done. The, the guests who come from afar, they always like to prepare them food. So over here on the left, we have the bishop of the church, or excuse me, the pastor of the church, the one I told you who's the crown warrior. Then you have Bishop Salati in the middle, who's in charge of that whole region. Then you have Bishop Karani, who's in charge of just about all of them as the missions guy. And what they did was, as we were coming out there, they knew we were coming, so they took a goat, butchered the goat, dressed the goat, cooked the goat while we were in the service, cooked his leg. And so after the service, we came and sat down, and now they've taken the leg, and he's shaving off pieces of the meat, and he's going to give it to all of us as we're sitting there eating it. So I was trying to keep Tiffany's attention while all of this was going on, because I didn't want Tiffany to see that as he was cutting that meat, there was like 150 flies on it. And, and, I, and Tiffany saw it, though, because Tiffany, does, she's not as adventurous as I am when it comes to the food. Uh, one day I was sitting up on the platform with all of the, the Maasai men, and they said we wanted to bring out to you, our visitor, some of our best choice cuts of meat because they, they, when they butcher an animal, they save the organs for the elders. So they had this platter and they brought it out there and I'm sitting up there with all these guys and I just started eating it and didn't even care what it was, but they later told me it was cow tongue, cow heart, and goat's liver. Now you've got to understand, uh, Tiffany had made her way to the vehicle and she wasn't getting out. <laughs> she was in there where the air conditioning was. There's no way she was going to come out there. But, but here she was trapped because we were outdoors. Other than the church, there's no other building. 
They brought the chairs out so they could bring us tea and they have this meat. And if they come to you in front of everybody with this food, folks, it's just best to just go ahead and taste something and not to disrespect people and their culture. Remember, they make the equivalent of $20, $25 a month. So when people put together something like this, they really do want you to show that you love them. And if you come that far, you can you can do that. So let's go to the next one. So there he's shaving off the meat here. You can see Tiffany's tasting hers and you can see pastor examining his. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I sat there and ate everything that they made. And I have to admit, it was quite, quite delicious. I, I didn't know I looked so good in my side jewelry. You know that I'm telling you that that, that, that really that really was something. Let's go to the next one. I think we're just about done here. Okay, so that is where the pastor and his wife live. That's their home. See? So as I said, they don't even have the steel sheets on their roof. It's a thatched roof made of leaves and dried mud, and it's the same with the sides. And here, these little buildings would be where they would smoke their meat. And of course, because they have livestock, they've got to fend themselves against the predators who would come for their livestock and for their food. And this area here, they asked us if we would consider helping them to build a school. Now that's about $1,500 just to put up a little building out there. And the reason for that their children have to walk three and four miles, more than five kilometers one way to go to a school. And then the school is only for two or three hours. And education, of course, as you know, is a very important thing. They want their kids to be able to try to learn a little bit of English and some Swahili and stuff like that. And what is happening, though, and the reason they're wanting to start a school is every year, their six and seven year olds and eight year olds that are walking back and forth to school, they're losing 12 to 15 of them every year because they start off in the night, in the middle of the morning, I should say, to go walking. And then they, I mean, they can't defend themselves against these wild hyenas that are coming. So they're losing 12 to 15 every year. And it's a, it's a dangerous life that uh, they have, but I believe some, somewhere we'll be able to help them. They did sink a whale about two months ago. Bishop took me over there and showed me that. And uh, they still have a little bit more they have to do in order to be able to actually start drawing water out of that. And hopefully in the months to come, I can share a little bit more about that. But folks, uh, we share these pictures with you because we just want you to see when we go to the mission field, that is where we're going. We, pastor is not spending his time in, in big fancy hotels. I don't have a problem with people to do that, but I'm just saying the call of God on our life is to go out and reach these people right here. So when we go out and visit folks like this and we take a couple of hundred dollars and we put it in their hands and say, this is for you and your family to go and buy you something. I mean, that's a life changing ordeal. A hundred dollars to buy that pastor a Chinese motorcycle. So he can ride out there in the bushland and go back and forth to different churches 
and visit his family. As I said, about $500 or so, I put up some, some walls around the building. If it's just some steel sheets, $1,500 to help put a roof on for some people and help build them up. But anything we can continue to do to preach the gospel in that land, we want to continue to do it. And we believe that we're going to continue to see a wonderful harvest. I'm not sure if that's the last picture, but let's look and see if there's one more. Okay, maybe there's one or two. Here is Bishop Karani's church. So here's his praise team up there. And you can see the big screen he's got up on the wall. They put the words up in Swahili and the congregation is singing the songs. And all of the people up there just dancing and leading the hundreds of people in praise and worship. Flip to the next one. Let's see. And then there I am up there in Bishop Karani's church. You can see in his church, because we're in a different location, we just go ahead and put a suit on and, and, and preach there. When I'm in the early morning service, I preach entirely in English. When I'm in the second service, I preach with his son, who is my interpreter. Is that the last one? I think. Let's see what we got. Okay, here is one of our interpreters. This young man here... He's different than Mr. Karani's son. This young man here, the church helped him in a big way, and I'll tell you how. He was raised in a polygamous home. His father had several wives. They weren't even Muslim. This was just a tribal thing in Kenya. His mother died. When his mother died, he fell out of favor with his family. So the dad never loved... The kids of his mom quite like loved the kids of the other women. So he was just pretty much cast aside and he ended up in Bishop Karani's church. And so we began uh, to help him and to bless him. Now he's getting ready to get married. He introduced us to his uh, fiance. Is that what she is now? His fiance. And, you know, in, in Africa, in order to get married, if you're a young man, you have to pay the bride price. That's across the continent. No one can just go and get married. The son has to pay money to the parents and the parents of the bride set what that is. So what the churches do when you come from a family that's not Christian, your church family helps you raise the money so that you can pay the dowry. So we were able at times in giving money to the church to be able to help him and uh, different people who were having problems who never would have been able to ever get married. Never would have been able to get married because they had no connection with family at all. So the church family is all that he had. When he embraced Christ, his family had totally rejected him. And this is what it means, folks, when it says, take up the cross and follow me. And when it talks about he that, that uh, loves their mother, brother, sister more than me is not worthy of me. Some people accept Christ around the world and they have nothing but troubles afterwards. But we still have to be there to encourage them. Now that may be the last one, I think. I think it is. Okay. So in all of our, our travels, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. When you guys send us we're just an extension of your arms. So today when you go home and you're somewhat ready to complain about it being too cold or something, just remember you can go over there and hit a button and the heat's going to come on and the temp's going to go up. 
If you get to complaining about anything in the bathroom, just remember there are some people don't have a bathroom at all. And just praise the Lord for what we have. This isn't any opportunity or any time to try to put you in bondage for living in a nice home. That's not that at all. We thank God that you have a nice home and a good roof over your head. We want you to have that. But we want to always remember that Jesus said the poor you will always have with you. So somebody has to be willing to go and minister to the poor, even if it means it's a long trip and it's out of the way. Amen.